Hey, welcome and greetings from Elfie's World, place where we try to bring you a little fun, pique your interest, and maybe, maybe even give you an opportunity to learn a thing or two about history. Boy, am I glad that you decided to join us today. Yep, my name is Elfie Wolfram, and I hope you enjoy our presentation. And today we're going to be presenting another program from our collection of stories entitled Elfie's Amazing But True Tales. Now, these are true stories that have often either been well, totally overlooked or sometimes not given quite the attention they deserve by the uh, potentates of history. We'll leave it to you to decide why they've sometimes been neglected in the annals of time. So, here it is, episode number 13, and it is entitled, The Youngest Poet. So, kick back, relax, and enjoy. Can you believe a published poet at the age of 12 wrote a letter to George Washington and got a reply along with an invitation to visit him? All of these credits belonged to a young slave girl who had come here from Africa only a few years before. Wow! Oh, oh, oh wait, 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 I'm, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. It all began in 1753. A young girl was born in the African country of Senegal, Gambia, very possibly into the Mandinka tribe. Now, her African name has been lost to history. Eight years later, she found herself kidnapped into slavery, probably by another African tribe. She was forced by African slave traders to march to the coast where she was placed aboard a slave ship and sent to America. Upon arrival in Boston, she was quickly sold at a slave auction. Now, the young girl was purchased by a prominent Bostonian merchant by the name of John Wheatley, who was seeking a servant and a companion for his wife, Susanna. As was the common practice of the time, this young girl took the last name of her slave master, and then she was given the first name of Phyllis, and so she became Phyllis Wheatley. Almost immediately, Suzanne Wheatley and her two children began teaching Phyllis to read. Now, this was not common and was often forbidden by many slave owners, especially Southerners, who feared the power that literacy might give to a slave. Because of her vast intellect, Phyllis's lessons soon included English, theology, Latin, Greek, and even ancient history. Before long, Phyllis began writing poems. Now, one of her earliest poems was entitled, On Being Brought from Africa to America. Now, now remember, this was written by a 10-year-old girl who only a few years before had been brought to the United States from Africa a girl who had undergone great traumas but was probably highly influenced by the unusual kindness of her master and his family. Here is that poem. 
"'Twas mercy brought me from my pagan land, "'taught my benighted soul to understand "'that there's a God and there's a Savior too. "'Once I redemption neither sought nor knew. "'Some view my sable race with scornful eye. "'Their color is a diabolical dye. <laughs> "'Remember, Christians, Negroes, Black as Cain may be refined and join the angelic train. At the urging of her owner, Phyllis had her first poem published at the age of 12 in the Newport Mercury. In 1773, Phyllis gained considerable stature throughout all of New England when her first book of verse was published. It was entitled... Poems on various subjects, religious and moral. Thus, Phyllis Wheatley became the first slave, the first African-American, and only the third woman to publish poetry in the United States. When she traveled to England a few years later to promote her poems, she instantly became a hit. While there, she received the patronage of Selina Hastings, the Countess of Huntington. Upon her return to New England, her master, John Wheatley, granted her freedom. Now, some question whether such a young slave girl could have written such marvelous poetry. So, as proof of her authorship, her volume of poetry included a preface in which 17 notable Boston men, including none other than John Hancock himself, asserted that she had indeed written the poems included in it. Now, Phyllis Wheatley was an ardent supporter of the American independence movement. When the British occupied Boston in the summer of 1775, she and her former master's family, the Wheatleys, withdrew for safety to Providence, Rhode Island. It was in Providence that Phyllis learned of Washington's appointment by the Continental Congress to take command of the American forces in Massachusetts, which he did upon his arrival in Cambridge in September of 1775. In response to the news, Phyllis composed a patriotic poem in Washington's honor. It was later published as His Excellency George Washington. She sent a copy of the poem to Washington himself at his headquarters in Cambridge, across the Charles River from British-occupied Boston. But uh, what was Washington's reaction to her poem? Did he ever respond to her? I mean, after all, there was a war going on, and he did have a lot on his mind. Uh, besides, he was a slave owner. Why should he respond to a former slave girl? Did he ever even receive the poem in the first place amid the chaos of war? Well... Washington did indeed receive her poem. His exuberant reaction might seem surprising to modern readers, 
remembering that well, he was a slave owner. But it becomes more understandable if one reads the poem itself. This noble tribute to General George Washington ends with these majestic lines. Proceed, great chief, with virtue on thy side. Thy every action let the goddess guide. A crown, a mansion, and a throne that shine with gold unfading. Washington, be thine. <laughs> now, Wheatley's letter and poem were delayed in reaching Washington. When he finally replied on February 28th of 1776, his response began with a formal apology, begging her, begging her forgiveness for the, quote, seeming but unreal neglect. After praising her poetical talents and thanking her profusely, Washington invited Wheatley to come visit him at his headquarters. Now, though definitive evidence is lacking, many historians believe that Wheatley did indeed travel to Cambridge and met with Washington in person. Now, if that is true, it would have been one of the most unusual encounters of our entire founding era. In 1778, Wheatley was married to a freed African-American from Boston by the name of John Peters, with whom she had three children. Sadly, they all died in infancy. Wheatley did continue to write, but because of the, well, the growing tensions from the British and the Revolutionary War, there was little enthusiasm for her poems. Even though she contacted many publishers, she was unsuccessful in finding support for a second volume of poetry. Sadly, Phyllis Wheatley died December 5, 1784, in Boston, Massachusetts, while in her early 30s. However, Phyllis Wheatley will live on as one of America's first and finest poets, amazing and poetically true. Well, there you have it. That was episode number 13, entitled The Youngest Poet, part of our weekly series entitled Elfie's Amazing But True Tales. Now, each week, we'll be presenting for your entertainment and edification a brand new audio story from our collection of Amazing But True Tales from History. Now, some of these stories come from our book entitled Elfie's Amazing But True Tales of American History and More. Now, as a listener to this program, you are entitled to purchase autographed copies of our original book, Elfie's Amazing But True Tales of American History and More, at half the publisher's price of $13.95, or a mere $7 per book. And that includes shipping and handling. For more information, merely go to elfiesworld.com. That's A-L-F-Y-S-W-O-R-L-D, elfiesworld.com. Then click on Elfie the Writer for more information. And now, 
I would like to thank the following for helping to make this program possible. First, Garrett Wolfram, our technical producer and supervisor. The late Irene Wolfram, principal editor and provider of Sage Council. Expert Publishing for their help in editing and publishing our book. Lucas Ganza Anna Waltz for the Parlor Guitar Magic Set. Herbert Bolin for his Piano Mood Happy Four. Ninad Simic for Piano Transition. And finally, the thousands of readers who have supported our efforts from the beginning. <laughs>